Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. things we say i'm sheldon and i'm nate yes we are trying to remember how to do this that's after right. being gone for so long that's right but it's, it's been okay. a while <laughs> we got interrupted by several things that we didn't plan on i guess you plan on the super bowl though that's <laughs> yeah, not that's, that's not an unplanned nobody's yeah. surprised by that yeah <laughs> which I, I didn't i didn't even watch all of i sat through <sighs> and by the first half i was like i'm tired and i want to go home and so we did well it was pretty clear that tom brady was gonna win yes yeah, yeah. He's a man I, on a mission. Yes. And I, I think it would have been, and you and I have gotten into a little bit of a disagreement over this. Not, eh, it's not even a disagreement. That's not even, that's too strong. But I do think it would have been a better game. I think the outcome would have been the same. Not the score, but I think the outcome would have been the same. But I think it would have been a more interesting game if, if all of Kansas City's starting uh, offensive line had been there. But it, it was a better game than the score indicated. In yeah. terms of defense, I mean, I enjoyed it. Yes, of course you did. In the third quarter, I, <laughs> I, I caught the, the oncoming, and I won't want to say depression, but the sadness of knowing that this was the last football I'm going to see for, till September. Oh basically. yes, yes. Yeah, there's always that in the back of my mind during the Super Bowl, <laughs> like, oh man, it's going away. Yeah. I'm so sad. Well, I'm I'm now having we're in sports purgatory where the only thing basically is like regular season basketball and NASCAR. Right. And it's like, oh man. Right. Which is yeah, that's rough. But the NBA is playing good basketball, so yes. You have and the Cavs are young and fun to watch. <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> and the else. Sixers are great. Yes, for now. I'm excited. For now. Woo. Yeah, I have I have the I have the looming reality that I'm never going to see a Cleveland Indians world series win because they've announced that they will be changing their name and i i am not okay with it for several reasons none of which i will go into here (laughs) but mostly because now the indians will never win a world series because when they do eventually they will not be the indians and yes it matters i'm just saying (laughs) it does Alrighty then the end (laughs) so did you know that Potatoes absorb Wi-Fi. Absorb Wi-Fi? Absorb Wi-Fi. Def- like, frame that for me. In like- the same way that the human body does. So, like, you're made up of water. Like, the amount of water and density of a potato is a pretty good simulator for, like, if you had a lot of them, they would be a pretty good simulator for a human in the way that a human body interacts with radio waves. Okay, fair enough. It's like when you broadcast a Wi-Fi signal and it's supposed to travel through a certain given space and you put a lot of people in that space, all of a sudden the signal is not as good. Right. For instance, the reason that I know this is that <laughs> Boeing, <laughs> Boeing had the issue of trying to put their Wi-Fi uh, routers, I guess. I don't know exactly what they use in an airplane. Yeah. I guess it would be a router of some kind where they space them throughout the cabin so that it doesn't interfere with anything in the cockpit and anything going on up there, but where you put it in the cabin so that everyone has a strong enough Wi-Fi signal when the plane is full of people. Yeah. So they did when initially when they were first putting Wi-Fi in, in airplanes, they didn't really think all that through. They just put it in, but then you'd fill it up with people and the signal would be spotty. So then in their testing chambers, what they did, what somebody figured out was this thing with potatoes and that potatoes have about the same amount of water and density and all of that. And they act the same as people. If you fill the seats up with bags and bags of potatoes, 
<laughs> and then do your Wi-Fi signals and test it from each location. Then you start to figure out how it really acts. So they they actually ran a program called SPUDS, oh, and it was no. abbreviated as SPUDS, but <laughs> it was an obviously forced acronym. I don't have it in front of me. But <laughs> the idea was if we take all these potatoes and we put them in the airplane and then do our Wi-Fi routing, then we will be able to figure this all out. Oh, my word. <laughs> That's so weird. So, yeah, potatoes absorb Wi-Fi and potatoes are a good simulation for humans as far as, yeah. The problem is you're just a bag bag of water sitting there impeding Wi-Fi signals. So does that mean like Wi-Fi in all of Idaho is just terrible? Is that just <laughs> so many potatoes? Is that just how well, that they're works? under the ground? I think the ground or has Ireland more to do with it. Or Ireland, it's just <laughs> no Wi-Fi, too many potatoes. No, but if you filled a room with potatoes <laughs> and put your Wi-Fi router in there, it might not be great. So what you're saying is, if I want to hide from the government, I just need to wall my house with potatoes. Yes, and heat them to 98.6 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> then their then their heat-seeking things get thrown off. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> they, really... They'd think there is a lot of people in your house. That's really weird. <laughs> but if you had a proper bunker, then you heat all the potatoes in your house to 98.6. <laughs> you go in the bunker, and then the government observing from the outside will think that you haven't moved you for a, a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh well potatoes. does your brain feel like a boiled potato by now yes yes <laughs> my gosh that's weird so anyway well that's not why we're it's here it's been my favorite did you know for a while that is pretty good that is pretty good and really bizarre um so yeah we, that's not why we're we, here we have done a thing <laughs> that has made us insufferable. <laughs> yes. And what is that thing, Sheldon? We've done a thing that we do not recommend, but we greatly enjoyed. <laughs> yes. And well, we might recommend it. Yeah, I would. I'm going to do it annually now. I, I think it's. it wasn't a bad thing, but it, I don't think... I don't think... Okay. We read the whole entire Bible. I did it in 35 days. Nate did it in 30 days. But days that I was actually reading was 30. Yes. <laughs> the problem was I didn't read for four days. Uh, four days, yes. For good reason. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. It was for good reason. Yeah, work and family and whatever yes. else got, got in the way for you a You didn't just days. get lazy. But the idea was uh, they were asking us to fast uh, during the first month of the year at church just as a thing to help us refocus and, you know, get on track. And that that's good. It's a good practice to incorporate fasting into your right. disciplines, whether that's appetites or attitudes or food or whatever it is. Um, like our church is great about not pinpointing something and saying, y'all have to do this one <laughs> thing. It's more about let the spirit lead you, but this give is some, a great discipline for give you. Some examples and options. Yeah. And so, uh, what what we what I decided to do, and then Nate joined me. I decided, we, I was following um, Nathan Finocchio on Instagram, and he's he's a speaker and worship leader and whatever else. I don't know. Anyway, he talked about one of the favorite things that he does every year is does what he calls the shred. Yes, we read the whole Bible in thirty days and just knock it out and get it done. The most important thing is that you read. Get the reading done every day. Yeah. If you have to skim, what whatever you have to do to get it done. And I'm like, you know what? If I did that, it takes about two hours every day. And in order for me to make two hours of space in my day, I'm going to have to cut a lot of things. Right. Mostly my phone or other things, you know, whatever I'm listening to in the car, whatever I'm listening to when I have free time. Right. I'm probably going to have to just insert reading the Bible or listening to the Bible. Right. So that was my way of saying, okay, this is what I'm going to fast. This is how I'm going to focus my attention is I'm just going to make the Bible my priority. This is what we're going to do. Yes. And I, a day or two before it started, I was like, hey, so I'm doing this thing. And I sent you a text and you're like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Now, my one regret <laughs> is because we both did it through you version. D right? Did yeah. you do it through? Is that we did not do it? You can actually friend each other on you version and kind of keep track of where the other person is. Right. And it'll alert you. And I don't think you have a profile on you version. I do. I couldn't find you. You don't have well, to tell me I what don't, it is. I now. don't know how 
to do a lot with the yes. profile. I nor, haven't explored the I. app. Nor do I. But I do know that. Although I did find out my daughter is banned from most social media because she's young. Oh, yes, yes. And and we just haven't opened up that Pandora's box yet. And so (laughs) I found out that you can like, like there's prayer requests within the app and people can talk to each other a little bit. But I'm like, you know what? I'm not worried about the Bible app. I'm not going to be that parent. Yes. (laughs) That is like your friends who are building a profile on the bible app (laughs) these interactions are the ones i want to police (laughs) if there's any interaction that i'm not going to police it's going to be be the bible app (laughs) so yes i know it's possible i don't know how it works yes but yeah that's my that's my one regret in the the way that we chose to do this but either way we were we were keeping track of each other kind of keeping accountable with with how we were doing and what we were doing and when we were getting done it might have been a little competitive yeah. points to see who was go- who was finished first and <laughs> i did i cut out i got rid of all social media for this deleted it off my phone i put the bible app where my instagram normally is in my phone so that when i went to go to instagram out of habit the bible app was there i stopped listening to music i stopped listening to podcasts this is what i was doing and i found that the speed that i can understand and listen to the bible and still retain it is 1.5 <laughs> speed It was probably about day six that you told me, hey, you can speed that up. (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) It was life changing. And I listened to it at one and a quarter speed and I'm like, oh, I can get this. And so I bumped it to one and a half. (laughs) I got to admit, parts of the New Testament were at 1.75. I was just like, I was like, I got to get this done. I know this so well. It's I know all of this so well. I've read like all of this so often. But now yeah. I will say this was my first time actually making it through the Bible end to end. Yes. Because for me, I've tried doing various Bible in a year things and it is just too long. Like it's too long to be stuck in a a rigid this is what you're going to do and how you're going to do it every day. And I just can't I just can't do that. I, right. My brain, I get bored and I want to move on. And that's part of what we wanted to do today was just talk a little bit about like reading the Bible and some of the things that we noticed in going through the entire Bible in a month because it's a different way of consuming scripture. Right. Like or getting the word into you. So often when you read the Bible in a year or something like that, you can dive into just one chapter at a time. So you're doing one chapter at a time or some some people in their regular Bible reading will just do work their way through the New Testament. So they're able to dive into a couple passages or paragraphs or whatever and really do a deep dive right. into those things. And that's good, but that's most of the way that I've read the Bible right. over my whole life. Right. I've never been like, it's okay to skim, bro. Just go for it. <laughs> right. Like, right. Like, get your reading done, get your two hours in and mow through this stuff. And when I say that, like when you do 30 days at a go, the first reading is Genesis one through 42. Yeah. We did Psalm. So Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible on day 15. We did Psalm 79 through 147. Yep. And Psalm 119 is in there. Yep. It's just one of the chapters. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I thought for sure when I do Psalm 119, it'd be like that and maybe like six other chapters. It was a day with like 70 chapters. Yeah. And one of them was Psalm 119. I yeah. was like, oh. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Like you do First Peter through the end of Revelation in one day. Yep. That's a lot of words. Yeah, it was it was super intense, but I I will say, and and again, I you I think you just mentioned this, but we're gonna just kind of go with some of our takeaways. Yes, from this, like the things that struck us about yeah, about blitzing through the Bible. First of all, it's that you can do this. It is possible mm-hmm. to get through the entire Bible in this thirty day period, and honestly, comfortably. It's not yes. like it was it was a drudgery. There were there are mornings when you wake up and you're like. The last thing I want to do is get in the shower and start this playing like because I would I would take it in my shower with me like it was with me through my whole morning routine. Um, Anytime I was walking to the bathroom at the office, anytime I was like doing anything like that's what I was listening to. That was my background music, um, if you will. And uh, and 
it's very possible to the, again to the point where I've decided this is going to be an annual thing for me. Every January, I'm going to do this. I'm going to use a different translation, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blow through it because it, I I was I was legitimately surprised at what I was able to retain and be impacted yes. by even going through it so fast because I feel like that would be the chief complaint of people hearing about this. It's like, oh, you're not going to get anything out of it just running through it in 30 days. Yeah. Well, I can say that that's absolutely not true because of the things that we did retain doing this. And jumping off of that, one of the things that stood out to me was the, the thing that makes it doable is getting through the entire first five books of the Old Testament in less than a week. Mm-hmm. You are through the entire Torah in like, five to six days. I think day six, day six, you get into judges, the first part of judges. Yeah. So like within six days, you've blown through those books. And usually that's where I get bogged down. I get bogged down in like Deuteronomy and numbers. And it's like, okay, Genesis went pretty well. It starts off with, you know, a bang, not big bang, right? but like it starts, (laughs) it starts off with a bang. And like the story is pretty quick paced. There's a lot of action and all of that. And then you get to okay how many ways can we describe the tabernacle and yes. describe it again yes and but being able to get like i say get through it that's probably a bad way to say it one one of the things i always say about the book of deuteronomy it, it may be like the most dry book at the beginning there but when jesus stands toe-to-toe with satan the only passages he quotes is deuteronomy <laughs> yeah so i gotta be careful what i say that's right you know because apparently there's a lot of power in there right. like if you if you are diving into it but i i will say that reading it in this manner was the one of the best ways for me to get to go through those first five books of the bible yeah and then start getting like the when you go through judges this quick that that is easy reading right it's very it goes very quickly um i don't know i just i found that the parts of the bible where i used to get bogged down for weeks where you would have weeks of reading this stuff and you're just like i'm not getting anything out of it or i'm not getting as much out of it as i think i could you know for weeks on end now it's just a day or two to to go yeah and then you're into something else right so Right. Yeah, for me it was that was a great way to yeah. consume it. Yeah. Um, one of the things one of the things that stood out to me, uh, particularly, and I talk, and Sheldon and I already talked about this was reading through Job, um, yeah. because Job thirty eight and uh, I think through like forty forty one are basically my favorite verses of the Bible uh, because it's God being sarcastic and not answering Job's questions and in so doing absolutely answering every question he had. Um, and in reading Job though, I came to this realization that Job was clearly a righteous man. God called him righteous, like pointed him out specifically as an exceptionally righteous person. And even so Job completely sucked at relationships. Literally everybody around him was awful. His children, he thought probably sinned every time they got together. And so he would make sacrifices for them every time they had one of their parties which indicates to me brattiness and who knows what else in his children. His wife was a horrible, nagging woman who, when he was down, just came over and basically spit on and kicked him. And all of his friends that surrounded him to lament with him were awful. All of their advice was terrible. Their assumptions about Job were awful. He sucked at choosing his friends and at at relationships. Um, The best thing his friends did was sit with him in silence for what was it, three days before they started talking? Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, but that was it. <laughs> and so Job, even as a righteous man, clearly was terrible at relationships. And so it's interesting to me to see that flaw that I never saw in Job before. Because, again, when you read all of Job basically in, in a day or a day and a half, you see it all, all at yeah. once. It's not strung out. And so you get the picture like right now of what's going on. And so that was really interesting to me to, to kind of see Job in a different light with all of that. One of the things that I picked up on was that most of the Old Testament has, and even parts of the New, are about what is holy and what is not. Yeah. And the division between the two. Yeah. And so in the Old Testament law, the Lord is very specific about what is holy and what is not, and what is dedicated to him and what is not, and like trying to teach his people 
that things that are associated with me are holy and here's how you treat them here's how you act and when it transfers from you to me like the lord speaking yeah. when it transfers from you to me it becomes holy yeah and specifically how that works out and um i was kind of blown away at the different parameters that he drew and even if the lord when they were going into the promised land and destroying different towns and whatever he would say this plunder you are to dedicate to me right and then the next town it was like this plunder you are allowed to keep all of it except for this yeah and then some of it it was just like i've given you this town yeah. and it was like it was all yours yeah and but he would be very specific in how he wanted to be worshiped and mm -hmm. how to come into relationship with him and so what stands out is then when jesus comes on the scene Jesus says, basically, I'm the fulfillment of all of these things. And all you have to do to get to the Father is go through me. Yeah. And for too many people, that's too much. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> how much simpler <laughs> is that than the whole thing that we've just seen for, you know, three quarters of the Bible is about a very difficult and narrow way to come to God that you will be accepted or heard at all or yeah. to delay the punishment of your sins. You have to do all these different things. How much more simpler to believe in Jesus, you know, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you are saved. Like yeah. that would have been, that would have been amazing against what all you else you had to do. So I don't know for me, that was one thing that just stood out very clearly is yeah. the Lord wanted certain things that were his and even when babylon took the things that have been dedicated in the temple of the lord to babylon the like the prophets and the way they wrote it down was very specific about where those things went what they were used for right. and how it was part of the judgment against babylon right because they defiled the holy things right and it was it, he was still counting right <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's funny. One of the things that hopped out to me is I've long been of the theory that because a lot of the questions that you get from people who are either new believers or unsaved, you, they challenge you with, well, what about the brutality that the, the Israelites uh, overtook Canaan with? You know, destroying whole towns and cities and women and children and livestock, everything, killing everybody. You know, what about that? And I've had that posed to me a lot. And I kind of, of my own thinking and working it out, came to this conclusion of, you know, we don't know the story of the people in Canaan. You know, for all we know, God was extending, trying to extend grace to them continually before that, and they just rejected him. The same as what we saw later with Israel and the pattern with Israel of, you know, here's what I will do for you. Here's the covenant I've made. Do this and this will happen. Do the, you know, don't do this and this is what will happen. And then they, they faced the consequences of the things they chose. And so I basically said, okay, looking at God in that perspective I'm assuming that a lot of the same thing happened with some of these other people. Again, not their covenant people, but some kind of extension where he was trying to give grace and they just rejected it out of hand. And I had a confirmation. And it was still possible. Right. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. It was still possible for the people in those lands that were quote unquote condemned. If they placed their faith in the Lord. Right. Like through faith, they were still saved. Right. Like Rahab yep. is in the lineage of Jesus. And she's there by faith. Right. And all she did was side with the Israelites as they went through and say, you know what? At like, basically, she was a reject from her community and right. was like, "I this is my community. This is where I'm going to, you know, where I'm going to be. And I trust in the Lord. And if they were to trust in the Lord at all, they could be saved. Right. Like, you were saved by faith throughout Scripture and even in Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Abraham stands out there and says, if there's 10 righteous people, if there's 10 people that will believe in the Lord, would you save the city? And he's like, for the sake of 10, I would. Yeah. And you couldn't even find that. You couldn't even find 10 people. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and you look at how bad things have gotten and you're like, okay, but God had already said, I'm not going to wipe all this out with a flood. Right. I'm not going to do that. But his justice was still being satisfied yeah. against everything that was happening. We might say, well, what were they doing that was so bad? Well, the Israelites, we know, eventually sacrificed their own kids in the fire right. to Molech and like the Ashtoreth poles and all this stuff. Like they went completely 
not not only did they neglect the Lord, but went completely against him. Right. Right. And it's like at that point with everything that he's told them and everything that he's put out there, what what do you expect him to do? Right. Right. Well, in this and this was the thing where I came to where I finally had a, a scriptural reference that confirmed my thinking on oh, this. Okay. And that was I, I think it was the, um, the Ammonites where there's a point where God tells is the Israelites don't go through their land yet because they've they've not achieved the wickedness that will deserve what you're going to do to them yet. And it was basically saying, like, they're not there yet. I'm going to continue to show mercy because they haven't gone all the way. And I'm like, there it is. Like, he's clearly saying there is a line and they have not crossed it yet. They're going to cross it, but they have not crossed it yet. So in my mercy, don't go wipe them out yet. And I'm like, see, there it is. So I, I it was it was a, a confirmation that I wasn't looking for and thought I would just have to extrapolate it from other things that God identifies about himself throughout scripture. But no, it was right there. And I was, I was pretty thrilled to see that. That was good. Yeah. And you see it with Edom and Moab too, where he extends them grace and most of, and it's been so long since I read the minor prophets, like all the little prophets, but a lot of what they were doing was prophesying to Edom and prophesying to Moab and to the, and to Samaria and all the uh, surrounding nations and basically saying not only is destruction coming to Israel but it's coming to you guys as well if you don't turn from your wicked ways and all of this stuff and by the time you get through the minor prophets you're like I get it Babylon's gonna kill (laughs) everybody it's it's coming it's going to be bad (laughs) yeah um the other thing that struck me is Israel when the kingdom split Israel was a miserable place yeah, they did not have many good kings in Israel after. I don't know that there were any actually. It wasn't, and it was because they did not worship the Lord in the way He had commanded them. Because they would not let their people go, go to, Jerusalem. to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, so they had set up their own golden calf, and people yep. would worship there. Yep. and that in and of itself was wrong, and that was the sin that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused them to commit. Right. And it, it says that for almost every king. Like, yep. But he did not depart from the sin that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused him yeah. to commit. And the surrounding nations didn't get it because I think, was it the Babylonians? Who was it? That were basically like to the people in Judah when they had a good king that went out and destroyed all the high places. Yeah. Then the surrounding nations were like, well, he made himself a stench to even the God of Israel because he destroyed their places of worship. Right. What was happening was instead of going to the temple. Yeah, that was the Assyrians. That was, was the, Assyrians. the Assyrians. That was with Hezekiah. Yeah. Okay. I, I read them all real quickly. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It was just something that stood out. And it was like, it was like, okay, he had destroyed places of worship that were for the Lord. Yeah. But they were improper places. Like they weren't at the temple. People were right. offering sacrifices at places outside of the temple. And right. that wasn't something that people should have been doing. The high places weren't necessarily pagan worship. Mm-hmm. They were worship of the Lord, but in the wrong place. Right. And so, yeah, they, they didn't understand when he destroyed all those because they're like, isn't, aren't those places for the worship of the God you claim to be serving? Like, yeah. this is all very confusing. Yeah. Um. I also thought it was interesting. I mean, I've always been a big fan of King Josiah, mm-hmm. but seeing how dramatically his reign held off the wrath of God because it was such a dramatic pivot from yeah. literally. I mean, and judgment scripture said, was pretty close. Right. And scripture said, like, there is there has never been a king like Josiah before or after. And again, that would include David in terms of his just complete dedication to, to the laws and ways of the Lord. And I'm like, man, and then the next generation, it was all gone. And just again, how, how he, how he staved that off, but how even his own children didn't follow through hmm. with what he did. And that was a weird pattern just to see throughout the Kings. You know, there, there were very few, if any, where there was a, a King who followed the Lord. And then immediately after that, his son also followed the Lord. Hmm. I, I can't think of a single one actually at the moment. I could be wrong. But I don't think there was a single one. There were plenty of evil to evil to evil, but not the other way around. And uh, and so it just kind of struck me of like how poorly, again, relationally, all of these kings actually stewarded what 
what God had given them and what, what they had learned about, about God, the chief among them being David. Yeah. I mean, his household was a wreck all yeah. the way through from beginning to end. Brothers killing brothers and raping sisters. Yeah. And, oh, and that was one observation that you made that I'm 100% in agreement with. Game of Thrones has nothing on the Old Testament. <laughs> if they made a pure... If they did like, a pure retelling of even judges through like... Uh, yeah, through Samuel. Yeah. And David's whole reign. Yeah. Like, that would be rough. And most Christians wouldn't watch it. <laughs> no, And probably wouldn't. shouldn't watch it. <laughs> but we'll read about it. <laughs> but yeah, Game of Thrones got nothing nothing on the, on the Old Testament, man. Whew. I, yeah, there's and it gets rough and judges like they there's a bunch of people. Was it in Benjamin where they were traveling through Benjamin and they become so wicked mm-hmm. that they didn't want to stay there overnight? And like the guy basically takes his concubine and sends him sends her out to yeah. the crowd that gathers outside, like wanting to have sex with whoever was inside. And they threw her out there and. They basically raped her to death. Like, yeah. it was terrible. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and then to send a message to all the other tribes of Israel, they cut her up into pieces and yeah. sent her with messengers to all the tribes to like, hey, come here and destroy Benjamin because they're out of control. Yeah. And I'm like, that's that's crazy. That entire tribe gets basically wiped out. Yeah. And everything that happens in those sequences was. Yeah. It's, it's insane. You couldn't. You can't hardly tell it, tell the story with kids in the room. Right. Like no, can't. totally. And there's a lot of that, especially in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, but we just hand out Bibles at kids' church. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of parts of this. I'm like, I can't listen to this out loud. With like, my children nearby. Right. Yes. <laughs> no, it's true. So there, and that was the other thing. Like, if you just hand someone a Bible and be like, all the truth of God is in here and you give them no instruction on how to read it or context for anything or right. anything like that you could be thumbing through the bible and open it up to that part and you're like what is this right. what am i reading right so one of the things that i was kind of surprised at looking and i and i was aware of this but it became very starkly real to me uh, in reading through leviticus and numbers and all that stuff was how how much in a in a time period where where socially women had no value they were basically property but where God actually gave them legal value yes, and legal rights that, I mean, right there in the law of Moses that just were not heard of in that day and era. From being able to own property to actually having the right to accuse a man in court of, of, of rape or of theft or of thing, like giving them a voice. And when that was just, it didn't exist. It didn't exist in society right. up to that point. And uh, it was it was really shocking to me how many times that occurred, um, and and how specifically even, in passing down property. Well, and especially because in in you know Puritan style England, you know back in back in the seventeen you know fifteen sixteen seventeen hundreds, women couldn't own property, they couldn't inherit property, they couldn't do any of those things, and they would say it was from a biblical standpoint, and it absolutely wasn't because if no. you're going with the law of Moses, it it's not there, it's just not there. And that yeah. was really interesting. I, I'd never caught some of those things. I think it was, was it Caleb's daughters? Yeah. That their husbands had died and said, hey, you know, we should get an inheritance. But even so, there was some instruction basically that every year of Jubilee, the land reverts back yeah. to the people Original that owned owner. it. Yeah. And it's like, but if a, if a man wasn't present to re-inherit the land, it doesn't just leave his family mm-hmm. line just because there's no man. Right. Like it passes to the the oldest woman or whatever. Like it, right. it passed to the women in the family. Like they were legally allowed to own ancestral land. Right. And and yeah, it passed down to the men usually, but it was a very patriarchal culture. But that would have been odd for the culture surrounding to yeah. see someone own own yeah. land like that. So that was interesting to to kind of see that stand out in a new way. Again, blitzing through all of those things, you you really see. You yeah. really see some of that. And widows were not to be neglected. There was special right. care for them and all of that that probably did not exist right. outside of. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it was, that was that was interesting. Yeah. One of the one of the things that struck me as well, because you and I obviously I, I don't remember what 
biblical studies you've gone through in, in your uh, coursework that you've been working through. Excuse me. But for me, they really tear up, tore apart the Gospels and like the differences between them and, you know, synoptic Gospels versus, you know, Gospel of John and different things like that. But one of the things I was really astounded by after having being in classes where they're meticulously pointing out the differences and and things that could have been viewed maybe as contradictions or whatever. But reading the, all the Gospels so quickly in sequence made me realize how consistent they actually are yeah because you do you start to when you start to delve into some of the differences you start to get a little it can make you feel a little squirrely about it because it's just like man well then you know were they wrong in this one were they right in this but it's like no there is a there is a a incredible uniformity amongst all of the gospels uh that i really didn't appreciate until reading them all quickly in sequence like there was three there depending on how you read it and at least in the translation i read there's at, there could have been at least three different women that wiped Jesus's feet with yeah. her hair. Yeah. Like the one was some, uh, was it, was it called out as Mary? I don't remember. That was a prostitute that came in Yeah. to the meeting at the Pharisees. There was a prostitute, like they were eating with the Pharisees and there was a prostitute came in and that was a big affront to what yeah. was happening. Then there was a time they were at Simon the Lep, and that was Simon the Pharisee. Yeah. Then they were at Simon the Leper's house in one of the other retellings yeah. of this story, and uh, a woman. Then in another telling of it, Mary, uh, Martha, and Lazarus. That yeah. Mary comes in and wipes his feet with her hair, yeah. and they were eating. Were they at? They were at Lazarus' house. They were I at Lazarus' right. house yeah. that time, and it would have been after Lazarus had rose from the dead. Yeah. And so like, depending on how you read it, it could be three different women. And in my mind, that was always one story. Yeah. And I guess I just never pulled that out yeah. until you read it so quickly back to back. Yeah. It's but. funny. It's, it is funny. The things that you catch when you're, <laughs> when you're blitzing through it all like that. The, the other thing that stands out about Paul's letters, I'm like, okay, there were very specific things going on in these different churches that yeah, he's addressing. Totally. And so many people will dive so deep into parsing what Paul says and how he says it. And I'm like, you got to read this. If you read it quickly, you're like, okay, this is a letter to this church. And you can start to see there's stuff going on right. that he's addressing. And it's... He gives context for everything yeah, he, he says. he does. But if you read this chapter and then put it down and the next day read this chapter and then put it down and next day read this chapter, after a while, you get divorced from the entire context. You don't read yeah. the whole letter in one sitting very often. Right. Like how many times do you just sit down and read a whole book of the New Testament the way it was written? Yeah. Like it was written as a letter. They would have got up and read this to everyone in the gathering and that right. would have been your meeting for the week. Right. And he tells people... That was one interesting thing is that I wrote a letter to so-and-so. You should read that one and read this one. Like yeah. He tells them to basically read the other letters right. that he's written to people. Right. So it's not like those truths aren't transferable. Right. But you got to realize that they were written to a specific well, situation. It, it also made me realize, too, how how much we major on things that don't, don't barely matter in Scripture. You know, it's like Paul makes this little passing reference to something and and we dive into it and rip it apart and and base entire theologies around one little moment and it's like this wasn't even a big deal to him why are we making a big deal of this thing right um and a lot of it have to do with spiritual gifts or the way that things are supposed to operate in church or you know those different things and it's just funny to me realizing how many things we have made a thing that were not a thing and Basically, these churches that were experiencing the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, he's telling it to people that are experiencing it for the first time and like, okay, yeah, this is all brand new to you. Mm -hmm. And here's some context for it. Here's what it is. Here's why you why you have it. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. Yeah. And all of that. And then it's like, okay, carry on and use your gifts to build one another up. It's not supposed to tear you apart. It's not supposed to be the main thing. This is a function of the Holy Spirit moving within your gathering. Yeah. And it's supposed to, it's supposed to build each other up and be life giving over time and not, it's not to be divisive. Yeah. So 
Um, and now you talk about spiritual gifts. It's anything but. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It's the thing we're going to talk about the most for no reason. Um, Also interesting to me was coming to the realization that of all of the prophets, there really wasn't anybody who wanted it. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody sought the Old Testament prophetic gifting. You know what I'd really like to be? I'd like to be a prophet. Yes. No. Not the Old Testament no. version. And you hear them multiple times saying, I didn't want this, but I can't help it. I have to speak. Or I'm just a farmer. You know, I'm not I'm not anything. I'm not a professional prophet. This is just, I have to speak up. And you see that over and over again where, where it was actually a burden to these men and women who were prophesying like well when the king of judah goes to the king of israel and they're trying to make a decision and he says <laughs> isn't there a prophet of the lord anywhere here and he's like yeah i have a one he's horrible he never tells me anything good and so they go out and they get him and they bring him in and of course he says no don't go and he's and uh, I or love no, his no he comes yeah. in and he says yeah you should go do that that sounds great and he's like Come on, tell me what did the Lord really say? He's like, No, you're gonna die. This is a very <laughs> terrible plan. He's like, See, told you, told you. And I wonder what happened to him because they basically said, you know, hey, put him in a put him in a hole until I come back. And then so gonna, I, and then he didn't come back. So what happened to that guy? He got I don't know. The king got shot and killed. Yeah, I don't know what happened to that guy, so who who knows? But yeah, it's 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 just interesting the things that well, I've always uh, one of my favorite things to throw around is, you know, everybody wants to quote the Isaiah. I can do all. I can do all things. No, what the no weapon formed against me shall, shall prosper that Isaiah has. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And he died by getting sawn in half by King Manasseh. Like it, <laughs> it was not a physical thing that he was referring to. He was referring to the word of the Lord itself and and the speaking prophetically that he was doing. But I think it's so funny that people use that as a physical you know motivation of like oh this thing's not gonna knock me down i'm like no he was he was sawn in half by a king eventually it it did not it did not go like you think it went for for him based (laughs) on that i saw a meme somewhere with the guy you have this guy on the phone it's like me calling god telling him that these weapons down here are trying to prosper It's such a funny phrase when you think about it that way. <laughs> These weapons down here are trying to prosper. <laughs> but yeah, I can do all things through a verse taken out of, out of out context. It's yes. <laughs> the best thing ever. Yes. I, did I tell you I have one of those mugs? <laughs> oh, great. Somebody got me one. I keep, my, awesome. I keep my spoons in it in my little tea area at my, at my desk. That's amazing. But yeah, it is amazing. I can amazing. do all things through a verse taken out of context. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's and absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I, that was a that was a point I made this morning. Like you get to, you get to the the verse where it says, "For I know the plans I have for you." So uh, Jeremiah twenty nine yeah. eleven. Like I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And He's talking about Jerusalem, and it's yeah. very specific he, the, in the context that He's using it. And I'm like, are we constantly grabbing this one and just pulling it forward because it's one of the nice ones out of yeah. this? Like within that prophecy, there's a whole bunch of things that don't feel very nice or don't. You wouldn't put them on a bracelet and wear them around, right. you know. Right. And and but then you get to thinking about it, and it's like, no, this this is a prophecy that's revealing part of the nature of God. Right. Like there is something about God. Even even in the Old Testament way that he interacted with people, he was patient. He was long-suffering. He was faithful. He had plans to bless them and did bless them and did look out for them in a lot of ways. And even when they weren't faithful, he was. And if you read the whole entire Old Testament really quickly or slowly, it doesn't matter, you start to see the patience of the Lord and how long his grace extended, even when they weren't in the age of grace. Right. And they, yeah, there was no advocate. That's one of the things about Job. He's interacting with God one-on-one without having Jesus. No covenant, no anything. There's nothing to pay for his sins other than that. He's a faithful and righteous person. He can only appeal to Lord, I'm righteous. I'm doing my best. And all God can say is, your best? 
Like, look, look at who I am. I am holy. You are not. And yeah. That's the end of the discussion. And that is a difficult place to be in and right. makes you so grateful for what Jesus has done for us. And right. where we have an advocate, we have a way to go before the Lord and to appeal to him and someone there on our behalf appealing for us and covering us. Yeah. And when Paul says, I'm hidden in Christ, like I'm hidden in Christ, I have access to God and it's through Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Christ. Like right. that's that's a lot of what I was seeing as you got into yeah. the New Testament. I'm like, ah, oh, this is well, making and it and it was interesting to me too because you you start to realize, you know, when they're when they're talking, you know, through Hebrews and some of these things and referring back to the Old Testament, and again, when you so freshly come from reading the Old Testament and you see the flaws in these people. You know, you see the flaws in David, you see the flaws in 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 Jacob, you see the flaws in Abraham and, and the the very real human issues that they had, but that it was their faith. Yeah. And it wasn't their faith because their faith was so great. It was that they just simply believed God. They, they, they believed that God would do what he said he would do. And it was rare for the Lord to interact with people the way he did with David and with Moses. Yeah. Like that relationship was rare. Right. And I don't know why, but it seems like it was because they had rare faith. Like yeah. they positioned their whole entire life banking on nothing else. Yeah. And when David did bank on something else, he would have to repent and there was consequences and things like that. Yeah. Same with Moses. When he banked on his own anger or his own strength or whatever, yeah. those were not the high times. Right. Like the complete reliance, total reliance on the Lord, even yeah. against his own will sometimes. Yeah. Was what the Lord honored by right. giving special relationships. Right. So. Right. So yeah, I mean it was a it was an interesting it was really an interesting journey. And again, one that I I plan to do and I highly recommend you should try it at least yeah. once. If you if if it sounds insane and like it would be miserable, try it one at a time at and least. The it's way great. to look it up on your version is 30 day shred. Yes. You look up the 30 day shred and it will be the whole Bible in 30 days. It'll break it up so that no matter how the chapters fall, you're doing about the same reading every yeah. day. It's good. It was really but, good. I yeah. en I enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and I'm still di digesting everything I kind of took in during that entire entire process for sure. Yeah, but I've scored all my Bible points for the year, <laughs> and so everything from here on out is a bonus. <laughs> and I am and I am particularly teasing the people who are doing uh, the Bible recap right now because I'm like, oh, you're only here? I already read through the whole Bible since January. Yeah, know? they were reading through Job and I'm like, this is taking you like a week or more and I'm like, yeah, I did that in a day. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we are a little insufferable because of this. <laughs> it is a pain to be around us. <laughs> yes, but just a little and only in this area. Other than that, we're absolute delight. <laughs> I don't gloat very often. No, but or my new phrase that I've adopted is that I may not be a gracious winner, but I am a winner. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what matters in the end, isn't it, really? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Well, yeah. I think that's it. I think that's, that's the majority of You should of my do things. the shred. Do it's the fun. shred. Yes. Yes, and we'll be doing it again probably in January. But it's a process, so have some accountability. Yes. Have somebody else do it with you, and it'll be so much more fun. Yes, it is. It was much more enjoyable. Oh, and the one thing that I was deciding when I first started down this trail, and it was going pretty easy. I'm yeah. like, okay, two hours a day, I can do this. <laughs> I had all this momentum at the beginning, which all petered out at the end. <laughs> and I was just like, just get me through. And But at the beginning, I was like, okay, two hours a day. If I did... So two hours a day gets me 30 days. If I wanted to do this in a week, it's doable. That's 60 hours. I can work 60 hours in a week. I could read 60 hours in a week. So if I went to a cabin in, a, in the woods and it was just me and a Bible for like six days, I could do 10 hour days, knock this whole thing out in a week. And I, I, that would be the ultimate shred. It would be amazing. I don't know that I'll join Sheldon in that one. No, I no. don't know. But at some point in my life, when I just get like, I'm going to do it. I'm actually going to do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we will give updates when and if that happens. I don't know. I may not return. My brain will explode. <laughs> uh, it would be, that would be super intense. That really would be. 
but moment. it's doable. It is doable. <laughs> it is. It is a mathematical. That's what I it is mathematical reality. It is. Well, doable. that used to always be my thing. I'm like, ah, Bible fits in my hand, and and a small like NIV thin line Bible isn't even that big. Like, how long could it honestly take to yeah. read all these words? This is how long it takes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you legitimately can't get through it any faster than that. That's about it. <laughs> Although three quarters of the Bible is old testament basically because we did the yeah. new testament in one week and there's i there's a pastor that i heard that he did the whole old testament in like a week yeah. a week to eight days somewhere yeah. in that range that's crazy that's a yes, lot of reading yes it so, is and a lot of drudgery Cause, yeah because there's a lot of it there there are some dogs in the old testament man <laughs> there just are but again, going through them that quickly and having the context of some of the things that surround them, it it's it's like when you have to give your dog a pill wrapped in bologna. Like it just it kind of gives you <laughs> something with some flavor around it and makes it much more uh, palatable, if yeah. you will. So again, highly recommend it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it forever, probably now, or at least until I get through every translation that exists, whichever <laughs> comes first. And uh, yeah, so annually, probably every January, this will this will be a thing for me. Yeah. But yeah, the shred. Give it a try. Let us know what you think about it. Yeah. We won't make any apologies for introducing you to it. It's a good thing. All right. Well, you can always reach out to us at the things we say, um, and that's on Twitter and Instagram, I guess. And uh, Facebook is the things we say podcast. Um, if you want to mail us, it's the things we say at mail.com. So yes, there you yes, go. Yes. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging with us, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.